From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While it's flown mostly under the radar and doesn't feature a Gator hovering near the top of the board like we saw in 2021, the NFL Draft hits Las Vegas this week, with Kyrie Elam hoping to give Florida a first-round selection for the eighth time in nine years. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to discuss Florida's draft prospects, a new direction for the soccer program, the continued dominance of men's tennis, baseball's growing pains, and the perils of ring chasing in the PAT. Then, you'll hear part two of our extended conversation with Katie Turner, as the assistant AD for recruiting strategy details the plan for Billy Napier to turn around the Gators' operation. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan who loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where animal lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. This week's roundtable is more of, I guess it's a square table. I don't know, when there's only two people, um, you don't really need the round portion of it. Uh, But we do have Gators Scott, FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter is with us. Chris Harry is out this week. We look forward to talking to him next week. Uh, But Scott, we have a, a variety of things to talk about here. Let's start with the NFL draft. This is the least hyped NFL draft I can remember. And it sort of dovetails with what was the least competitive college football season in some time as well. So there is, and I don't just say that because Georgia happened to win it. Uh, It's true. College football was not great this year. There were not a lot of big stars. And I think we're seeing that reflected in uh, the lack of interest in this draft. But from a Gator perspective, let's talk about some names we expect to be called. Yeah, Adam, it's different for the Gators, too. I mean, I think in the overall picture, you know, I'm just looking here at some of the top prospects. You know, you got Aiden Hutchinson, a defensive end for Michigan. The second one, Trayvon Walker, defensive end for Georgia. Third one, Ekum Equinu, offensive tackle. North Carolina State, then another offensive tackle, Evan Neal from Alabama. If you get past the third pick and you haven't set a quarterback, it means it's not a good draft year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's just going to be the way it is. I'm like you. I, I paid less attention to this draft probably than any I can remember. And partly, getting to the second question you just asked, or the first question that I delayed, is about the Gators. You know, the Gators usually – have a lot of prospects for the draft. I mean, if you look at historically in the last, you know, 25 or 30 years, I think Florida, Ohio State, USC, Alabama, they're right there in the top three or four almost in all the categories uh, in most draft picks over the years uh, in the last three decades. So when you only have four guys or so getting talked about being seriously drafted, they may have more, but I think we'll get drafted or Kyrie Elam. Zach Carter, Damian Pierce. Well, we'll start with Elam. You know, he, he's a guy that, you know, you've heard him being mentioned anywhere from first round, late first round. Now I've seen him go in some mock drafts. Second, I think Mel Kuyper, I saw him the other day, had him down going 48th overall to the Bears, which would put him mid-second round. You know, I think he's definitely going to be the first skater off the board. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think Kyrie Elam has a skill set that – translates well to the next level you know he's an excellent cover corner has athleticism has speed quickness has the the long lanky arms that you know uh serves him well at that position and i, I think uh, if healthy he could really develop into a good corner he only played at florida for three years i i still think his best football is ahead of him and uh, he's a guy who who's prepared for the stage i mean you gotta remember his his father played in the NFL. His uncle, Matt Elam, played in in, in in the NFL. So this guy knows what it's about. Uh, and then after that, Zach Carter, uh, I think probably in the fourth, fifth range, fourth or fifth round range uh, up front on the defensive line, helped himself at Florida 
just with his versatility. And Zach's a good guy. I think, you know, he, he's going to be a professional right away on some roster. And, uh, you know, he'll, he's going to have to, I think, get better in some ways, but I think there's potential for that. And then the offensively, you know, their top offensive player, I think, really is going to be Damian Pierce in the draft. Um, Florida fans have strong opinions on Damian Pierce. A lot of people think he was underused at Florida. Uh, there could be some truth in that. What I see is a guy that has a lot of a lot of upside, tough guy, team guy. And uh, I don't know where he's going to go, but wherever he goes, the media in that NFL city is going to instantly fall in love with Damian Pierce. <laughs> he's the best quote we've had come through in a long time, Adam. Yeah. Uh, a guy that you got to remember when he came out of high school uh, from Bainbridge, Georgia, I think he'd broken a couple of Herschel Walker's high school records in that state. And he was always a kind of a shared carries at Florida, but I, I think he, he he's going to play in the, in the NFL, a tough runner. He can get outside and, and show some breakaway speed, but I think his, his forte is between the tackles and just being tough. I mean, he's, he forever etched his name in a place in Florida's lore, you know, with that helmetless front against FSU. So, and then after that, you know, those three, you know, Gene DeLance, I know has impressed some people with his individual workouts. Malik Davis is a guy that may come off the board late, but he'll get a look in the NFL with some team. Jeremiah Moon, who, you know, he passes the eye test, but had a hard time staying healthy and really staying on the field at Florida. But I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, he lands in some free agent camp or is a late round pick. So they'll have some guys uh, called on draft day, but it's going to be less less profile than we're used to, Adam. Mm-hmm. As is always the case, too. Some of these names you're mentioning toward the end, Scott, uh, very likely if they don't get drafted to be signed as undrafted free agents. And there's listen, there's a lot of players that have made their way to the NFL through that route. So it certainly doesn't mean that your road is done. Uh, it just makes it a, a little more difficult in terms of getting in camp and getting through camp because teams want to protect their investments and their investments are draft picks, much less so undrafted free agents. So uh, we will see how that turns out. We'll talk about it next week, of course, when we see where everybody ultimately lands. I want to turn our attention now to a sport we don't usually talk about this time of year, but that is Gator soccer. Uh, and it's not being talked about for the reasons that you would like to be talked about. But Scott, it came out this week uh, kind of out of nowhere uh, that a change was being made at the top of the program after only one year with Tony Amato, uh, who replaced Becky Burley after she retired. Uh, kind of a, a, a weird story. There's There's been a few of these weird stories this year. What, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, I mean, it was a surprise anytime, you know, you, you get rid of a coach the first year into, his, you know, after his first season. He's been here less than a year. Uh, what they, they they had a tough season. They went, what, four um, – 12 and four, obviously one of the worst seasons in program history. And, uh, but I think anytime you have a new coach like Tony Amato, he's coming in from Arizona, looking to change the culture, develop his own system. And, and a lot of times, uh, there's buy-ins. Sometimes there's not. And, you know, Scott Strickland, he met with the media after the announcement today over at the soccer complex. And, you know, a lot of the questions were like, well, like you just asked, I mean, What's going on there? I mean, there was his main point was that there have been some communication issues with Amato and the players. You know, there's always going to be some complaints, some people who don't like change. There's been transfers. There's players in the transfer portal. I think that's a natural part of any transition to a new coach. But there was enough concern, you know, that Scott said that, you know, he had met with Tony Amato and they had talked and, and that they were kind of evaluating that since October, and it seemed to not be getting any better. And I, I think they made a change. I mean, it's you could tell it, it was one that I think Scott said it was a very, very difficult conversation. Um, obviously, came as a surprise to fans, uh, for the media, um, and I'm sure for some of the players. I mean, Scott said that he certainly had supporters on the roster. But there was also detractors, and uh, it's one of those situations. Adam, I don't, I can't speak to all the details because I don't know them. Uh, you know how deep they go. I do know that I think we're in a culture with the student athlete empowerment of the last couple of years. 
you know, I think coaching has changed. I, I think um, there's a there's certain players that are going to respond to certain coaches, and there's certain players that are going to be instantly turned off by maybe what we consider old school hard hard line coaches. And um, Scott's one of his main messages was, you know, I think in today's world, one thing he's learned is that having a genuine personal relationship between coach and player, it's probably more important than ever before in the student athlete's eyes. And we're accustomed, you know, I, I came up and you're young enough, but you're in that mid-level, you, you know, the coach, especially in college, the coach is the face of the program. Yeah. And it's always been historically, you know, an authoritative figure. And I, I think the dynamic there is swinging some, to the player side. Um, so it's just going to be interesting where this goes because, I mean, you know, coaches have to push players, a lot of players at least, to maximize their potential sometimes. That's what makes great coaches and great players. But there definitely has to be that mutual respect there and communication uh, open. And I just think there were some issues there that existed over a period of several months that uh, – just as Scott said, it just wasn't getting any better in his view. And it, it sounded like he didn't believe that it could get better anytime soon. So, yeah, just surprising news all the way around, um, but also some interesting, I think, bigger societal factors that when you really look at this thing in retrospect, it'll be interesting. And not just here, I, I think any, any of these. I mean, there's just you're seeing coaching moves now maybe that you didn't see three, four, five years ago, certainly not 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I want to transition from that to talking about a, a much happier story, and that is what's going on with the Gator men's tennis program. Uh, hopefully people will remember that they won a national championship last year, their first in school history, uh, and then they, they haven't slowed down. I mean, they this year have just, they've ran rough shot through the SEC. They swept the regular season. They won the tournament. They have not been beaten by an SEC opponent all season long. Uh, and now they go into the NCAA tournament, Scott, with obviously a lot of confidence and expectations that would seem to be reasonable that they can repeat if all goes well. Yeah. I mean, this team is, uh, like you said, it's been playing at a high level throughout the regular season and nothing changed in the SEC tournament. We had a first uh, conference tournament since 2016. And, uh, you know, to me, I mean, Sam Rafis is obviously the guy who was dynamic at the end of last season, winning the NCAA Individual Singles Championship, helping the team win. But I think Ben Shelton's emergence as just that dominant player uh, that he is, and I just see his upside being unbelievable as a, you know, a, down the road in his career. But right now, the Gators and his dad sure love to have him because uh, – He's a difference maker, and it's just a deep team uh, from top to bottom. And and they go up there and uh, they beat Tennessee in the what the semifinals. Uh, got over that hurdle. They lost to the balls last year in a very hotly contested match. I mean, it's clear that those two teams. Uh, I don't think they hang out on Friday nights very much. <laughs> they just uh, they don't like each other, Adam. And yeah. but the Gators got the best of them, and then they won the title the next day, and uh, they're primed for. Uh, Another uh, another run in the postseason. And, you know, we talked earlier about culture. And I remember when Brian Shelton got here, you know, he had some culture issues of his own uh, that he had to build on that in, within the tennis program. And a lot less players to deal with usually means less problems, right? Mm -hmm. But he had but he had some issues that he had to deal with, and he did. And he just built this thing to where it is today. And that's just a testament of a really good coach. I think uh, what he has working right now is probably as good as any any uh, program on campus. Him, Mike Holloway, and track. I mean, they've got some strong uh, strong programs right now. The Gators, who knows? I mean, right now they're going to enter the postseason. I think they'll they'll be the favorite, or at least co-favorite, to to win a, another one. So we'll see if they can do it. Yeah, they're flying high right now, no question about it. Uh, as far as some other Gator teams that traditionally do win at a high level this time of year that, that are not having those results, at least lately. Uh, let's turn our attention to the, the various diamonds, the softball, the baseball diamonds. Uh, for softball, they got swept at home this past weekend by Arkansas, which 
Uh, I'm almost positive it's never happened before. Uh, I was even thinking bigger picture, Scott, if there's been a weekend in you know the last two decades where both baseball and softball were swept at home. Um, I know you were following baseball closely. And yeah, it, it's interesting, Scott, because if you look at the RPI, baseball's got a top 10 RPI because they've played such a tough schedule. But ultimately, uh, at some point, you got to win some more of those games and, and they keep running into, into these difficult weekends. And outside of when they took two or three from Arkansas, it's been really tough sledding with sweeps against Tennessee and Georgia. Yeah, it has. Uh, this is a team that, you know, that RPI is so high because what you just said, you know, playing number two, Arkansas, they won two out of three in that one. But then, of course, well, they had number three, Vanderbilt in that stretch. Then they had number one, Tennessee. So you've had they've had a really tough stretch and haven't fared very well. And it's just a program that is, I think, going through some growing pains, Adam, quite frankly. I mean, I was out there on Sunday for the third game of that series. And, you know, I thought Brandon Neely, I mean, had a no-hitter for six and a third innings against a very good Tennessee lineup. They go to the bullpen, Blake Purnell. He gets out of a tough spot, looks really good. And then he runs into trouble in the ninth, but they get down to the final out a couple of times. And Tennessee ties it up and forces extra innings, and then they win it uh, in 11 innings. And it was a very deflating loss for the Gators. And I mean, that's a Tennessee team that after that game, they had a third, they were 37 and three. So, you know, even taking one and three would have been big against them, but it didn't happen. And it, it's been kind of a common theme what the problem is. I mean, pitching depth is not the same as we've known it with this program. I mean, Hunter Barco is now sidelined with some elbow discomfort. So, you know, they're looking for more behind him. And where do you go? You go to Brandon Sproke, who pitched pretty well. And then Brandon Neely, who I just mentioned, who had a really great outing Sunday. But those first two games, Adam, the Gators had five hits and 58 at-bats. And, you know, no matter how no matter how you're pitching, if you're not hitting any more than that, you're not going to win. I think they ended up with 11 hits in three games. And that's just not going to be good enough. So, you know, it's kind of a different story than what we've talked about most of the year with that team where it's been pitching issues. Uh, they've been hitting the ball pretty well, but then the hitting turned sour. And other than for the one inning in game one when they gave up seven uh, runs to Tennessee, I mean, they pitched pretty well that whole series. So uh, it was just that kind of weekend. And you're right, across the street over at the uh, softball stadium, it was that same, same kind of weekend. Uh, they got swept and you know, that was a topic of conversation in the press box afterward. Like, man, when's the last time both the Gators softball and baseball teams have been swept? And uh, I know it was tweeted out, I think it's been some, some, since the 2006 season. So what's that, 16 years? When I tried to run through my head if it had happened during my time involved with the program, I couldn't think of it. So I assumed if it yeah. happened, it was before 06. Not only was it before you, Adam, it was before Tim Walton or Kevin O'Sullivan. Yeah. So that kind of just tells you, what kind of success they've had and how unusual what we saw this past weekend really was. And right now they're, I think, what, six in the East, just ahead of Missouri. And of course, the two lowest teams in each division don't even make the SEC tournament. So they got to win some that avoids falling that, that division. And this is just who they are. It's whether or not they come through in the clutch or not. And they've had trouble with that so far. Well, those are both programs that have uh, have won rings within the last within the last ten years, and it gets us to our topic for the PAT, which is about the concept of ring chasing. This came up this week because Charles Barkley uh, was critical of Kevin Durant, which is shocking. Barkley is never critical of anybody, right? What a what a weird thing for uh, for Chuck to do. Um, but he kind of went after Durant and said, oh, you know, it's a little harder when you're the guy instead of being maybe the Robin when you're the Batman. Um, and Durant sort of fired back and then called out Barkley for being a ring chaser, uh, which, I mean, you could argue, I feel like Durant was a ring chaser. So that seems like a, a pot calling the kettle black. Um, but I'm just curious. I, I, I think I know where you're going to land on this, Scott, which is probably similar to me. You are older than I am, but we both have a similar old school sensibility of, you know, when you win a championship, it shouldn't just be because you're trying to check a box. It should be an accomplishment that, you know, that was the culmination of a lot of hard work, not just let me go jump on this bus that's already moving instead of repairing the one I'm on. So I, you know, for example, just thinking about people who fall in this category, 
I have a lot more respect and recognize LeBron's ring in Cleveland to me far outweighs two in Miami because, you know, he chased it. Miami, they built up a super team. Cleveland was really where he was the guy, was built around him and he made it happen. Those are the guys I think throughout history who people have more respect for anyway. Yeah, I mean, I I like the year when, you know, a guy like Jordan, he got into a Bulls franchise that hadn't had much success and they built it around him. Then they had Kippen and some other pieces and, and they did it six and eight years at one point. Or, you know, uh, the Magic Bird era. I mean, those guys, the Celtics, Lakers every year. Of course, they had great players around them. And getting to your main point, I mean, uh, you know, there is more of that ring chasing now more than ever. But, you know, I love Barkley. I'm, I'll go down with that guy, man. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, my, he's my Kai analyst. I, I love he that he, he calls him out. You know, Kevin Durant's a great player. He's a unique player. And he did win NBA titles, something that Charles Barkley did not do. But Barkley, I'd take him just one-on-one. I, I think he could, he could play with Durant. But the bigger picture, what I enjoy out of these conversations is it's funny to see these, these super alpha male athletes, former athletes, broadcasters go at it in the social media world. <laughs> it's, it's entertaining. But having said that, I mean, since the advent of free agency ring chase, I mean, it's going to be a part of every sport every year to some degree, maybe more so, I think, although we're talking the NBA here, uh, I mean, I think in baseball, it's every year, right? At the trade deadline, that's always been part of it. But of course, the team acquires players. Like, right, you know, that's, the the team, that's the team yeah. making the decision. The this players is, not making yeah. yeah. These are guys, like, I don't like in the NBA, you have a lot of guys, it seems like demand trades to go to the optimal situation. You know, whether it's... Um, you know, James Harden this year, I mean, he went to the uh, – and Ben Simmons, you know. Didn't work out for either guy, did it? Um, I think when you have a case like LeBron to Miami or even – I remember going back even to Shaq to the Lakers. I mean, you What know. about when – remember when when Carl Malone and Gary Payton joined the Lakers as well to try and win one in their last year? Yeah, I think you see that a lot for guys at the end of their careers. And Durant was kind of pointing toward Barkley at the end of his career when he went to Houston and they had – I think Elijah one still, but they had Clyde Drexler and another big name that slipped in my mind. So he thought, okay, I'll slide in here and win me a ring. It didn't happen. But even at the, yeah, I remember when Shaq was near the end of his career, didn't he go to Phoenix with the Cleveland with the Boston? Uh, he was, remember he went to, he went to Phoenix. He was, uh, he was Shaqtis. The Shaqtis. So it's just part of the, the way the NBA is structured more so than maybe because, you know, one player often can change a team or, you know, you get that one piece of the puzzle. Uh, it can make a huge difference, but I'm like you, I'm old school, Adam. And uh, I love it when they get drafted when they stay in, you know, David Robinson with the Spurs. I mean, mm-hmm. He was a guy that stayed there. And, you know, Malone went to the Lakers late in his career, but for the most part, him and Stockton tried to win it in Utah. It didn't yeah. happen for him. So those are the kind of careers that I've always appreciated more. But these days, I mean, even even Tom Brady's a ring chaser, That's man. true. Even Tom Brady's a ring chaser. Even the guy who had more rings than you knew what to do with was still yeah. chasing rings. Yeah. They love those rings. They do. They do. Um I mean, to your point about Malone, let's say the Lakers had won that NBA title in his last year. No one would remember Carl Malone as having won a title with the Lakers. They would have remembered him from what he and Stockton did in in Utah all those years. So again, it's like it's it's checking a box, but I don't know that anyone is as concerned about checking that box as the players are themselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you played that your whole career, and I mean, I'm not going to fault a guy for you like Charles Barkley. I'm not going to. You know, he's at the end of his career. Right. It's fine, but it's not like, but that's not going to be their legacy. And for some reason, for some reason, they think they seem to think that will be their legacy when no one else out on the outside observes it that way. I mean, think of all the great athletes who never won a championship. I mean, Ernie Banks. I mean, Dan Marino is a famous one. Dan Marino. I mean, Jim Kelly uh, had a lot of chances. (laughs) Yeah, Jim Kelly. I mean, so there's all these athletes and while they are remembered for those maybe big moments that didn't work out. I mean, as time passes, 
you kind of just remember who they were as a player. I mean, I used to love to watch Barkley play. Well, theoretically, all teams that are competing are, are chasing rings. So we're going to keep following those, especially the ones that, that compete in Gainesville. Make sure to stay on top of all the action by following Scott at Gators Scott on Twitter. And of course, the content will be up on FloridaGators.com. Uh, Scott, this, this was a fun, it was a fun one-on-one. Maybe, maybe we'll keep Chris out of this permanently. I don't know. I guess fans will have to tune in next week to find out if he returns. <laughs> Yes, well, you know, one thing I'm sure Chris is listening to this during his <laughs> time away, and he'll 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 determine whether or not he wants to come back or not. He's gonna he's gonna miss it. In case you missed last week's episode, we learned how Katie Turner first got into the world of major college football recruiting and how she became one of the fastest rising stars in the business. What we didn't cover was the tactical plan for how she and her team are attacking the trail which you'll hear right now in part two of our conversation. First and foremost, you have to establish like what you're looking for at each position, whether that's height, weight, arm length, um, wingspan, shoe size, broad jump. If they're fast, what can they run in the hundred meter? Like, I think that of course it's all your tangibles and like, but you just have to identify like what you're looking for and like, what is your perfect prototype? And like, what are we looking for? And, and then it's like, okay, if let's say you have an, a quote unquote, like outlier, like your whole class can't be outliers, but like, mm-hmm. who are you willing to take as an outlier, if you will, for that position? Um, but so like, I think just setting your standard and like your requirements almost for like your positions. And then um, from there, it's like the evaluation process, of course, like their film, obviously. And, you know, we'll look through highlights, but like um, ground level, seeing them at camps, seeing them in their high school games um, when they like, when they do like these Under Armour camps, that's actually really huge for us. But like the camps and the evaluation process is honestly the biggest thing, but it's like setting your standard and then actually like doing the work and doing the research and the evaluation and then setting like your boundaries. So for us, like with coach Napier, when we were at Louisiana, it was a six hour radius. So it was like, okay, if you take Lafayette, it's like the circle of your radius and then right. you work out. So um, it was six hours here. It's four and a half. Um, and then like Georgia, it was pretty similar. I think it was about a five hour radius. Because, of course, you want to recruit your home state. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. You want to recruit your home state. Um, and then you want to recruit, like, the surrounding states. But, yeah, you want to definitely focus on, like, that radius first. We're not saying, like, exclude everyone else because then you do. Then you start to work your way out. It's just starting there first and then, like, working your way out. So, like, working down to, like, South Florida, working up more. Um, and then national level, like now let's work out, or maybe it's like, okay, now let's just do like Texas, you know, like, right. um, or, and then like, let's work all the way out, like up to the Northeast out to like California, you know? So definitely like setting your standards and setting your boundaries and just communication about it all. Like, I think that something that has helped like the programs like Alabama and like Georgia just be so successful is they do a very good job at identifying like who you would take at each position. I mean, it was just something I witnessed where, and we do it here where it's like, okay, assigning day was tomorrow. Like who would you want to sign or mm-hmm. who would we sign? You know, and as the month's gone, who do you think we would sign? Who right. would you want to sign? Who do you know? Talking about that. And then it's like, okay, what spots do we have? How many wide receivers are we taking? How many DBs are we taking this year? How many tight ends? How many? So it's like, knowing the standards, knowing the boundaries, knowing like the limits, like how many you're looking for, how many you're planning to sign in order to be within that number, that scholarship number. This is everything. This is our perfect scenario of like quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, O-line, D-line, corner safeties. Okay. This is our perfect scenario. Then maybe we have two open spots for like best players available. Like does not matter what position they are, like the best players on the board, like regardless of position. And I think that just like having that communication that everyone in the organization is on the same page about that really helps programs succeed. And I've just like, I've seen Alabama do it and I've seen Georgia do it. And I mean, it's the way that coach Navier does it here. And just because if you're like only worried about signing your position, you know, and there's no like real communication, then you guys could be missing out on maybe like that next best player available 
or maybe you're like missing out on some depth and like different areas. It just, it Mm. can get dicey. So I would say like, regardless of like the resources, the facilities, I mean, it just, it all starts with identifying talent and then just like the communication sounds so easy, but like, (laughs) it's so, it's such a big part of it. But yeah, Coach Napier is really big believer in like area recruiting as well. So that, and, and if like, let's say you're Carrie Colbert and you're a wide receiver and the wide receivers in your area, we will reassign someone else that's like close to your area um, to be the area coach. Cause we want it to be mm. like, we want it to be two coaches. We don't want it to just be one coach. I mean, other than that, it's just building relationships. Like, I think once you like identify them, yeah, it's just all about like building the relationships, whether that's with the recruit, the moms, the dads, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, like girlfriends. I mean, coaches, people in their area, like maybe advisors at the school, just building those relationships. So those, I think are the two things that just, like you said, kind of transcend the conferences, like the powers power five group of five transcends like the money and the resources and the budget and everything. I mean, when you really break it down to those two things, I think if you succeed in those two areas, you identify really good players and then you build relationships with really good players. You're going to be in a pretty good position. in recruiting. Yeah. It's uh, that, that does seem to add up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So when it comes to recruiting, I think it's it's a topic people have a hard time knowing. Well, what does that mean on like a day to day basis, right? I mean, when you're on campus, you have you, know, you have a schedule. Here's like you're practicing. You have this. And you have a game, and you know you have meals. So, what is a day like in the world of recruiting? What is because as you noted when you got to Florida, every it is recruiting season year round. So, what is it? <laughs> oh, you're, you're quoting what, what is the <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean like day to day? What does that look like? Let's talk about when they're on campus. When they're on campus, it is all, everything's strategic about like, are we going to get them back or not? How do you know which guys you're going to get back and which ones you aren't? Do you have to just sense that based on the relationship you've built? Yeah. So that one's a lot more just communication with like between the coaches or maybe with like us as support staff, like with the recruits. Um, and they'll tell us to like, Oh, I want to schedule my official visit here. Or like, I do need to come back and like come with my parents. Um, cause maybe they come with a team, maybe they come with a coach, a teammate, something like that. So for the most part you do know, but yeah, so it is like just a matter of just communicating with them and kind of figuring out like, is this really going to be like our one shot that we've got with him? Or is there a chance that he comes back? But for the most part, I feel like this year, I mean, everyone that we've had come on, I mean, we have probably had, I would love to give you an exact number, but we've (laughs) had hundreds of people come through like hundreds since March 1st. Mm. Um, And they have come every single day. And I mean, for the most part, like I would say, the majority plan on coming back like in June for camps for games in the, in the fall. And like, that's what we want. I mean, I tell the guys all the time, I'm like, y'all come up whenever you want, you know, as long right. as it's not a dead period, I don't care. <laughs> like, right. Come on. Like I want this place to feel like home for them. I want them to feel comfortable enough that they can text me and be like, Hey, I'm going to drive up today and just come to practice, you know? And I think a lot of those guys got to that point where like they did, they kind of came up in January. It was a more of a formal visit. And maybe they came again in early March. Once again, like more of a formal visit, like really the, the nuts and bolts and they're meeting each person. And then they're like, okay, I want to just come up to a practice and just, just come watch practice, sit in the meetings. And then they're like, I'm going to come back next week for practice again too. And then it's like, yeah, I'm just going to come up for the spring game. And, you know, so now it's just, I think we've done a good job and like, that's what we want in recruiting. But anyway, we do, we really tailor it to like the recruit. Who are they coming with? Um, what do they need to see? What are, you know, what are their goals? What are their majors? And what do we have going on that day from like a team aspect? So like we try to have them see as much of like the team meetings and schedules as we possibly can. Cause like, they love doing that. Like they like sitting in the meetings mm-hmm. um, for the most part, I think um, <laughs> sometimes those meetings can get long, you know, they like going out to the team run. They like going out to practice and they like just feeling part of the team. So um, we'll incorporate that into their schedule as much as possible um, so that they can kind of see what it looks like a day in the life. But yeah. And then really from there, 
we have a really big spreadsheet where we check off what everyone sees that day. And we have mm-hmm. like a running list. That's something I didn't do at my last place. That's something that like definitely we just kind of started doing here um, to help just keep track. So like next time they come around, like the visit is different. Um, and I think like, as you build those relationships, it is more, okay. If I know you're coming up, like, okay, what do you want this visit to be? Like, do you want to just come hang or like, do you want me to set something up? I can let me show you the dorms or one of the apartment complexes within a mile of campus or, you know, just little things. So it's like, I think that is really big too. Like once you build those relationships, it's just that communication of like, what do you want this visit to be? Because I mean, from that sales perspective that you were talking about, it is Mm -hmm. like they're a customer in a way of like, okay, you're the customer. Like this is hospitality. Like what do you want out of like this experience today? Um, when they're not here. I mean, there's so many little things, whether it's like birthdays, whether it's cards, um, Mm -hmm. graphics, we can print out like really cool graphics and like mail them. We can just like mail like information out, um, you know, getting ready for right now. Oh my gosh. I just wrote down like the longest to do list today about things to get ahead. (laughs) I'm like, now that spring ball is over, I'm like, okay, everything we need to work out. I'm like, we need to order just the littlest things, but like the recruits love like the lanyards, credentials, wristbands. Mm. I'm like, okay, we need to come up with like really cool designs. And we need to come up with like a cool wristband for like class of 2023. Cause like dream team, like we need like a dream team wristband and we need like a dream team lanyard mm. or like we need to get ones like when they come on an official visit, like we need the lanyards that like distinguish that like this is their official visit we're finally kind of getting like a really big creative team. We're talking about like now that we've had all these guys come on spring or come to spring and we've taken really cool photo shoots, like, okay, now what can we do with that? Like to stay in their mind? Like, do we print off their best photos? Do we print off a bunch of their photos for them to hang in lockers? Do we come up with maybe a video piece that we send to them? Like, there's just like always stuff that we can like send to them, whether it's electronically, whether it's digitally. And of course they, there's little compliance. Like we, we, I mean, we know what we have to follow, mm-hmm. um, but there's things that we can send to them. Um, and then it's just getting prepared. Like before we know it, June will be here and we're going to have camps and we're going to have official visits. So it's like making sure that we're booking hotel rooms, that we're booking car services or like getting stuff ready with like enterprise and, Oh, official offer letters come out August 1st. And that's like one of my favorite projects Hmm. of all time. So I'm already starting about official offer. I'm already starting thinking about official offer letters and like what that design should be like this year. And because it can only be an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, (laughs) but what a weird requirement in 2022, right? I know, but we've come up with like really cool creative ways around it, like loopholes and stuff. So I'm like excited to see like what our creative team can come up with the year, but this year, but that's something to like put on their radar now. And then September 1st is the first time that we can communicate with class of 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause yeah, we're, at this point in time, we're not allowed to like text them or like DMs with them or like anything. So like, that's where like class of 2024, we're going to have to come up with like a new hashtag. Um, and then we have to be like sending all of them stuff. So, like coming up with graphics, coming out with like a huge mail out system for September 1st. And then it's the fall. Mm. So you can always be working. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much that goes into it, which is it's interesting hearing you describe a lot of it because people always say on the surface, recruiting is about relationships. And it is. But there's also so many other things that you've brought up that ultimately maybe a lanyard by itself doesn't matter. But a lanyard in conjunction with all these other pieces, that's that's all part of the experience. So I I guess what what I would want to know, and I think what a lot of fans wonder is, what is it that you can now do to separate Florida from the Alabamas, the Georgias? Because ultimately, like that's. Those are the types of players you have to get to win national championships, as we saw when those two teams played in the national championships. So <laughs> what I mean, what is it just like, is it just out hustling or is it is it a combination of all of these things that, that we've talked about? It's a combination of all of the things. I mean, it, there is a certain amount of like grind that goes to it, though, for sure. I really do think 
the more you get the kids to come visit your campus, the better probability you have of them committing to your university. I just really think it goes back to their visits. So like Except for you, of course, in your <laughs> Except oh, yeah. for you you, you know personally what? who did not do I that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because like I really I went so far away from college. I'm still yeah, except for me. I don't I didn't visit Tuscaloosa, didn't visit Lafayette. Yeah, anywho. Uh no, I just I really think it's like a combination of everything that we talked about, but it really is just like staying in the forefront of their mind. Um, and whether that's FaceTimes, I love FaceTiming. I literally tell the recruits all the time, I'm like, if you just like are like, oh, I wonder what Katie's up to, and like you FaceTime, like I will answer. <laughs> Like, I love it. I love talking to people. But yeah, so I think it's just like, the more they come, the more comfortable they get, the more they build those relationships with you naturally. And then they're building relationships with the guys on the team and maybe with the other recruits that could see themselves here. And then they kind of start to recruit each other. That's the other big thing. Like the players on the team are our best recruiters, a hundred percent, no matter where you go, they are going to help move the needle more than I ever could. I tell them that all the time. I'm like, I will always be here for you. Like my door is always open. I want y'all to come hang. I want to have girl talk. We can become besties. Like I want to root for you. I want to see you succeed. I want to be like a cheerleader in your life. Like, right. But I'm not going to be on the field with you, you know? So I'm like, I can recruit you and like tell you to come to Florida until I'm blue in the face but like, I'm also not sitting in those meetings with you. I'm not out on the field with you. I'm not being coached there with you. You know? So it's like, talk to the players, like talk to them. Like, how is their experience? Like, do they feel like it's positive? Do they like the food? I mean, talk to them, like the food, the transportation, like, like the little things that were getting changed. Like, I mean, really talk to them and like hear from them and kind of what they think and hear about their experience, how they're being coached. Cause I firmly believe that like the, or the players on the team, like, I just, I've been so proud of them and how much they've bought in. And like, I wouldn't be here if like coach Nieper wasn't a great guy. Like I love working for him and I love, um, recruiting for him. So, you know, I tell our recruits all the time, like talk to the players, like they'll like ask them any question. Like they'll answer you honestly, you know? And, and I tell the players, I'm like, you guys are our best recruiters. Cause like they want to, like, they'd be playing with you. Like that is going to be right. your teammate one day, you know, if he decides to come here. So they're really great. So they do a really, really good job. And then like the recruits recruiting each other, that is really huge. One of the reasons recruiting is such a big deal is because it's something fans can engage with year round. And the way that you work on it year round, fans can do it. It's, it's, what is it? It's April. I forgot what month it is. It's April right now. There's no games. Recruiting is like a game everyone can engage with. But at the same time, just like when there's games, there's going to be people that are, you know, hyping you up. There's going to be people that are, that are talking negatively about maybe the job that your staff is doing or about commits in particular or recruits or giving their opinions. How do you stay sane and clear out the noise when there is so much of it at any given time that's both good and bad? Honestly, I think that like social media is really, really great when it comes to when it comes to the recruiting day and age, because there is so much like content that we can be putting out there that is fun, that is behind the scenes, that's showing the fans, that's showing the recruits kind of a day in the life or the personality of the coaches, the personality of the players, personality of the staff. Um, it's showing like just the, you know, resources that we have available and there's so much like at the click of a button. And I think like, that is why it's so important to utilize Instagram. We are getting back on TikTok. Like, I think that they had one here before, but like, we're really starting to up the ante on that again. Um, Facebook, you know, kind of catering to that. And then of course, Twitter. Um, and I think like we hired Tamsin Stonebarger as our, you know, she's like director of, um, social digital strategy. And like, we just had a meeting with this guy, Nick, he works for Instagram and Facebook. And like, he literally was here. He spoke to our team yesterday. Um, he flew in all the way from Oregon and like was talking to our team and everything, but we met with him personally, just like from a recruiting standpoint, from like a social media standpoint. And I mean, we're getting so in the nitty gritty of it, even what algorithms, like, are you kind of pushing, you know? And he was like reels. Like if you post a reel, like it's probably going to show in people's feeds more than like a regular post. Hmm. Or if you have like the posts that 
are, you know how you can post more than one photo and you can like swipe? Yeah, like yeah carousel, those, yeah. Yes, like those posts get shown more. Or like on Facebook for a while, like three minute or longer videos were being pushed in the feeds more. But he was like, now like reels are going to be pushed out onto Facebook. And like, like, so anyway, just even trying to figure out like algorithms or like, how can we get out into these recruits feeds more? Um, Like, how can we get out in front of all of this stuff Um, so that like our content is being displayed? Because it does, like you said, it all goes back to recruiting because it's like how, like if it's a dead period and they can't come here during the month of July, like what pieces are we putting out there? So like we are staying consistent in their mind. Um, And then it becomes a thing like that they're interacting with us and they're engaging with us. So then like, we are just at the top of their feed or like, Mm -hmm. we are just constantly like one of the stories that they see or like our tweets appear or, you know, that has been a huge mission of ours. That's been very, very, we've been very intentional about trying to expand our reach. And that is for alumni fans and of course recruits. So it's going to help benefit everyone. Um, and I think that not only have we been intentional about like expanding our reach, but we've been intentional about what content we're putting out there too. So like it is fun or that it is, mm-hmm. maybe it's trendy, maybe it's behind the scenes, maybe it's things people want to see. Maybe it's more about Coach Napier. Maybe it's more about uh, a specific player this one week or highlighting the staff a little bit more. Um, and all the like, you know, I could talk about resources, but like our staff are resources, you know, like everyone that coach Napier has hired has a job here to do and why have they been hired? What's their story? So, um, just putting all that on social media. So that is definitely a huge mission of ours. And I just think like Tamsin and the rest of the creative team, they've just done such a great job of ramping it up because we have been asking a lot of them, you know, we do a recruiting meeting every Monday. And then right after that, we switch gears right into a digital strategy meeting. These are our engagements for this week on Twitter. These are, these are our posts that are doing really well. These are our posts that aren't doing so well. So then it also helps us like, okay, so we should maybe use this person more, maybe do more posts like this, or Mm -hmm. this one didn't really hit that well, but, or it hit really well on Facebook, but it didn't do well on Instagram. So anyway, there's a lot going on like behind the scenes about social media and how we can use it to our advantage. And we keep trying to learn from the numbers. And so it's really cool. So we use that. And then yes, of course, like the one downfall that anyone has to face, any organization, anyone has to face with social media. This is my favorite expression because my mom always says this about me. Cause like I said, I'm my own toughest critic and I love the saying that you can be (laughs) the juiciest peach in the world, but there's still going to be people out there who don't like peaches. Okay. (laughs) I love that. I I don't think I've heard that before. I don't think I've, and I, and I live in Georgia. So theoretically I should have heard, I should have heard something about peaches. Right. So. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so crazy. And like my mom used to say that we were in New York. Like she literally was like, (laughs) you could be the juiciest peach in the world, but like, there's still going to be people out there that just like, they just don't like peaches. And like, you know what they're going to, and you know what, they're going to tell people that they don't like peaches and Mm -hmm. it just, it is, it is what it is, but like, you just got to keep chugging along. You just have to keep moving along. And as long as you, I think like we're doing things the right way. And like, I really do. I firmly believe in coach Napier and his vision and the staff that he's put together. I'm like, I love, I love our staff. I love the team. I think we're all bought in. I think we're all pulling in the same direction. And like, that's all I can ask for. And like, I know that like mm-hmm. as a fan, because I've been a fan and I, I was a fan of a team that didn't make it to the playoffs for 17 years. And it was like really, really hard because we always had like new head coaches. We always had new GMs. We were cutting players, training players. And so like, I actually really sympathize with like what a lot of Florida fans are probably feeling right now, where it's like, we're hearing, like, we've heard this before. Like we've heard trust the process before we've heard Mm -hmm. this and it's really hard. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, but I promise, like we're working our butts off. Like I am here all day and all night. Like I don't have a life. Like I literally don't have a life. <laughs> I can confirm it. It is eight thirty, and you are still in your office. So PM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. It's just like, 
I'm, but I'm not the outlier. Like there's so many, I bet if I open that door, like there's going to be a bunch of people that are still here. And it's like after spring ball, you know, players are about to start to go into discretionary. Like the coaches probably like, they don't need to be here, but like, I guarantee I would walk down this hallway and there's, I bet I could find a few that are still here, you know? So I know I really do sympathize because I totally know where they're coming from. Cause like I myself have been there as a part of like my fan base. Um, and yeah, it's tough and I get it. I will say something that's really cool. And I do not take this for granted at all. So after the Buffalo Bills lost to the Kansas City Chiefs and what I would like to call this year's Super Bowl, it was better than that's the right. one that's right. up here. Yes. That warranted that did that did warrant the rule change for playoff <laughs> overtime. Thank it you. finally made it happen. Obviously, like that was a very emotional game and it was like ups and downs. And I thought we won with 13 seconds left and then we went into overtime and then we lost. And like, I have like video footage of like me and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And then like after the game, like when it ended and we lost and I'm just like literally standing there and I'm like staring up at the TV and like, no joke. I started crying because like, I just love my Buffalo Bills so much. And like, I really Mm. thought this year was our year my heart hurt. Like the next day I wore all black. Like I was so (laughs) sad, Adam. I was so sad. Okay. But all of this to say, if there's one thing that I've taken away from this experience, it is the fact that it is so cool that we work in a field that like you can literally affect people's emotions Mm-hmm. To the point, but like, I'm feeling the way I'm feeling right now. And I was like, and I know that there's Florida fans out there that like, they have this same passion right. for Florida. And like, I work for their team and yeah, I just have a problem where I get like really attached to the teams like that I work for. Like, I really liked working at the Cajuns and like, I loved the community and like, same thing. Like, I know you don't like Georgia, but like, I was like, <laughs> I really was so happy for like that team. And I was so happy for the community. Cause like everyone been so good to us and everyone I've met, like, I'm just so excited. And I just really want to make the Florida fans proud. And I'm just like, Oh, I want to bring it home. Like I want to bring it back. And like, I just, I get really attached. Like, can you tell by my orange nails? Like I'm all yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. And yeah, if I have a message, it's that they're getting 120%. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Katie, you've, you've given us, I I mean, 150, I mean, whatever the (laughs) max percent of anyone who has ever appeared on this podcast, you have exceeded that. So thank you so much for your time, for sharing so much of your background and, uh, and good luck on the trail. Thank you. You're like, thank God this is finally over. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.